Breast cancer is one of the most studied and high-profile cancers, and yet we still have so much to learn. While we've come a long way, and many lives have been saved by advances in medical research, there are still some types of breast cancer that are aggressive and don't respond to treatment. Today, we're talking with a researcher who is determined to unravel how these cancers work. Hi, I'm Mara Jean Tilley, and this is Medical Minds, the podcast of the Garvin Institute of Medical Research. In this series, we're diving deep into the minds of our amazing researchers to find out how they tick and how they are working to make our lives better. With me here is Associate Professor Christine Chaffer, Head of the Cancer Cell Plasticity Lab at Garvin. Welcome, Christine. Hi, Mara Jean. Tell us, what's the state of play with breast cancer? How far have we come and how far do we have to go? I think there have been some fantastic outcomes for, for breast cancer patients. The survival rate for women can be up to 90% now when they're diagnosed early. So what my research has really been focused on is that the group of women where their tumours either come back or they've spread to other organs because it's these patients when the cancers advance to that stage that we don't have really any effective treatments for these patients. So Christine, why is there such a discrepancy between cancers that can be treated effectively at an early stage and those that are aggressive and metastasize early on in disease development? So one of the things that we're really interested in understanding is exactly that question. So how are cancers able to evolve and adapt so that they can escape the treatment and become resistant? And so we spend a lot of time pondering that question and have started to, I think, make some really uh, significant breakthroughs in understanding the processes that cancer cells are using to evade treatment. And this means that we can start to think about designing therapies to stop those escape mechanisms from happening. So for example, we've known for quite a while now that cancer cells can adapt to different sites where they're metastasizing or spreading. And so this means that this is a new way to think about treating cancer. So a lot of research in the past has been looking at how new genetic mutations might account for why a cancer cell has spread to a specific organ, whether it's the lung or the liver, and has been thinking about ways to try and target those genetic mutations. What we're looking at is something completely different. So we're thinking about this idea that cancer cells don't need new genetic mutations. They have a remarkable ability to just change and respond to their microenvironment that they land in. And this means that cancer cells are using very dynamic and rapid signaling processes to change who they are. And so we've been studying those processes and we've actually found that we can identify some of those key molecular signals in that pathway and identify drugs that can then target them. And so this means that we can now combine therapies like this to see if we can stop cancer cells from becoming resistant, so stop them from adapting to the environments that they're landing in. And we think that this is a, a really new way to think about treating cancer. So tell us about your research and how you're tackling this, no doubt, very complex problem. So what we've been looking at is pulling apart a tumour. So we know that all the cancer cells within the tumour are not the same. So there are some cancer cells within a tumour that are very aggressive and there are some that are not aggressive. And what we've discovered is that the cancer cells can move between these two different cell states. And so because we know this, we can now 
separate out those cells and we can study what's different between them, like what is driving the aggressive cells and why are the other cells not aggressive. And by doing that, we were able to discover that the androgen receptor is highly expressed in the very aggressive cells. And so we started asking the question, if we target the androgen receptor, can we do two things? One, can we eradicate those aggressive cells? But two, can we stop the non-aggressive cells from dynamically shifting into those aggressive cell states? What's an androgen receptor and why is this important in breast cancer? This is a really interesting question. So when we think about breast cancer, it's commonly driven by hormones. So we often hear about estrogen receptor positive cancer or progesterone receptor positive breast cancer. And this is because uh, breast cancer is driven by hormones. And so the androgen is also a hormone receptor, but it's more commonly associated with prostate cancer. So what we've discovered is that there is a sample or a cohort of breast cancers that are not driven by estrogen receptor or progesterone. Rather, these ones are driven by androgen receptor. And so this is quite a new concept in thinking about targeting the androgen receptor in the context of breast cancer. So women also have circulating levels of testosterone in our bodies. And this means that the hormone testosterone can actually activate the androgen receptor, and it does in women as well. And so what we think is that those testosterone levels in women are important in driving androgen receptor positive breast cancer in some women. Christine, you spoke about this phenomenon where cancer cells are changing states and becoming more aggressive. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? What we know is that some cancers are inherently poised to be able to change cell states and some aren't. And our hypothesis is that the cancers that have this inherent ability to change states are the ones that are going to be more aggressive. And an example of this is our preclinical work looking at how cell state changes are impacted in response to chemotherapy. And so what we've been able to show is that tumours that can change their state can use this in response to chemotherapy to move into a state that's now resistant. And so this means that that changing cell states is a way that cancer cells are becoming resistant to chemotherapy. So does this mean the cells are evolving in real time to avoid the chemotherapy? Yes, that's exactly right. So in some cases, the tumours that can do this can evolve very rapidly to become resistant to the chemotherapy. And so we've been really trying to understand how we can stop that from happening because if we can achieve that, then the chemotherapies will be more effective. So we still know that chemotherapy is the best option patients have. And so when it works, it works really well. So what we're trying to understand is how are cancer cells becoming resistant to chemotherapy? And if we can stop that, I think for more patients, we're going to be able to get much better outcomes in response to chemotherapy. So our strategy is really to understand what's driving cell state changes and then to combine therapies that stop cell state changes with chemotherapy. And that combination together should equal better targeting of all the cells within the tumour and that means better outcomes for patients. Christine, you're currently running a clinical trial testing this hypothesis. Can you tell us about that? So... The work that has been done in my lab 
from some very talented groups of, of postdocs and students has shown that the androgen receptor is really important in driving cell state changes in response to chemotherapy in triple negative breast cancer. And so we looked at a series of drugs that target the androgen receptor and were able to show that one drug in particular called sevoteranol was extremely effective at stopping cell state changes and then stopping tumor growth, but also stopping the emergence of chemotherapy resistant disease. So we're now looking to use that combination therapy for patients with metastatic triple negative breast cancer. And this trial is the first time that this drug has been combined with chemotherapy. So we're currently conducting a safety trial. We know that the drug on its own, sevoteranol, is safe. It's been through phase two clinical trials, but we're now testing the combination of the sevoteranol with chemotherapy and would like to show that that is safe. And then we can expand out to much larger cohorts of patients. And how confident are you that this therapeutic approach will work? I'm very confident in our preclinical work. I don't think we could have gotten any better preclinical work with the combinations that we've done. So look, the human is a a very complex system and there's not everything that we can control in our preclinical work. Uh, I think we're in as good standing as we could possibly be to go into clinical trial. What will the next step be after you've conducted the safety trial? Do you go into a larger clinical trial? Yeah, so once we know it's safe, then we can start treating much larger cohorts of patients. And this means expanding across Australia, hopefully, and hopefully internationally, so that we can more rapidly test the combination. And testing it more rapidly means that we can make it available to more patients faster. Your current clinical trial is looking specifically at patients with advanced breast cancer. In the future, do you think this treatment might be appropriate for individuals with other types of cancer? A really important part of our study has been the identification of a biomarker. And this is a marker that enables us to screen patient tumours and look at whether they will be responsive to this new combination therapy. And this is really important in clinical trials because sometimes you can have a therapy that looks like it's going to work well, but if you don't treat it in the right group of patients, you might not get the outcome you want. And so our study is using a marker of the androgen receptor to screen patients and see who we think is going to respond. And the really exciting part of this is that we're able to then look in other cancer types to see whether the biomarker is present. And we have found evidence in other tumours, including at this stage glioblastoma. And so we think that if we can combine sevoteranol with temozolomide, which is a chemotherapy used to treat brain cancer, that hopefully we'll be able to recapitulate the results that we've been able to achieve in breast cancer. Science can be a really hard slog. How do you and your team get past the setbacks? Part of it is not viewing them as setbacks. I think We can have experiments that don't work. We can have frustrations, like they might be technical, things that don't work. But more often than not, the not getting the scientific answer you wanted to the question just excites other questions like, what did we get wrong? What are we missing here? And that process of trying to solve is what drives us. What does a typical day look like for you and the team in the lab? So a typical day for us is doing experiments. And when I say that, I really say my team. I mostly do, as part of my day, a lot of 
writing, a lot of thinking, a lot of grant applications, trying to fund the research that we're doing. But the most exciting part of my day is meeting with a group. When someone comes and knocks on my door and says they've got a new result they want to discuss, this is what motivates me. This is the most exciting part of our day. And coming together as, you know, for our lab meetings and seeing what new research people are doing. That's the highlight. How important is mentoring and collaboration in your work? I think it's fundamental. You know, science is, it's not something that you need or should do on your own. I think the more diversity and the more different opinions you can get, it really helps us to get closer to the questions we want to answer. And what's the next big thing that you and your team are going to work on? What we've been working on is driving this new concept into the clinic that we can actually stop cancer cells from changing state and that that will lead to better outcomes for patients. And so we call this state gating. And so my goal is to be able to get these new state gating therapies into the clinic. I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg. I think we've a combination of hard work and luck has led us to an effective therapy that so far looks like it's going to be effective in the clinic. And at the moment, we can apply this to a cohort of patients that are androgen receptor positive. But there's going to be other state gating therapies. There are going to be other markers and other drugs that we can apply to different types of breast cancer, but then across different types of cancer. And so our goal is to be able to ultimately stop patients from developing chemotherapy-resistant disease. And I think if we can do that and really change the lives of all those people suffering from disease that now has no therapies, that's my goal. Tell us about the role that philanthropy plays in your research. Philanthropy is really important to the work that we do. It gives us the chance to accelerate our research in some cases. In other cases, it gives us an opportunity to try something new, something that we wouldn't otherwise have had the opportunity to do. And this can really lead to breakthroughs, you know, just that opportunity to try something different. You know, that's where philanthropy can really catalyze the research that we're doing. And the other really important thing about philanthropy is the people that you meet along the way. I think these people are really dedicated to research, dedicated in a different way. They've either been touched by it, whether it's a family member or a friend. They're so passionate about what we do. And even that in itself is so motivating. It really brings to life what we're doing, why we're doing it. And it gives us that reason at the other end to drive the research and be motivated to help people because that's the ultimate goal. Christine, before you go, we have five quick questions for you. It's the fast five. What do you do in your spare time? Mostly my family. Favourite music? Anything that I can sing to and this microphone is extremely tempting because I'm pretty terrible. Favourite hero or heroine? The people I work with, the people around me, my family, my mum and dad, my sisters. What are you most proud of? I'm most proud of the work that we're doing to get into clinical trial. Where do you want to be in 10 years? In 10 years time, we are going to have a lot more therapies in clinical trial and we're going to be making a really big impact for so many cancer patients. Associate Professor Christine Chaffer, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's a great honour to talk about the work that we're doing and really to celebrate all the hard work that goes on within the lab, but also at Garvin to bring our research to the, to the community. So thank you. If you'd like to know more about Associate Professor Christine Schaffer's research or the work of the Garvin Institute, 
head to garvin.org.au. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review and share with other podcast lovers. I'm Mara Jean Tilly. Thanks for listening. This podcast was recorded on the traditional country of the Gadigal people of the Aora Nation. We recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and elders, past, present and emerging.